Welcome to the Someone Somewhere podcast. It's Saturday, June 13th, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode 36. This episode is brought to you by the Polycultured Seed Share. In 2017, we created the Seed Share to mobilize a decentralized seed network around the USA and the globe. Starting with five members, we've grown to 95 members in 28 states and three countries. The Seed Share is entirely free, paid for by our generous Patreon donors. Help support our efforts by going to our farm resources blog at www.patreon.com slash polycultured. This is an episode I've gotten several requests for, and that is the topic of foraging. I fell in love with foraging, and I didn't necessarily plan to. My story really started with learning to garden, and the idea was to create your own habitat, to create permaculture systems. Naturally, wild species jump in on your space, and so you end up learning the basics of some quote-unquote weeds and other native plant seeds that sprout in your soil. Foraging is the act of searching for food or provisions in the wild landscape, which you obtain and process in some way for some use. Considering humans were hunting and gathering, a large part of what we mean by gathering is really foraging, and foraging is a skill set. You have to know what you're looking for, when to look for them, where to find them, and why you use them. Our food, our clothing, our shelter, our heating and cooling, our personal care products, these were all originally foraged by human beings and processed into goods that we use to sustain ourselves. Without foraging, the human species would not have evolved to bring us all here today. There's such a huge range of wild foods and provisions that you can forage, and a great deal of them are close by. This episode is meant to be an introduction to the process of going out to forage, identify, and preserve your herb. I've also been utilizing the term urban foraging as of late to describe the heavy use of upcycling and using abandoned industrial materials to make gardens in cities. Things like wood pallets, barrels, buckets, municipal wood chip piles, and whatever else is available in the urban landscape is a form of foraging as well. And it's good to have a keen eye for free useful items, just as it is good to have a keen eye for local herbs and mushrooms growing about. Sometimes you'll want to control the conditions of a wild herb by growing it in a garden. This is okay too. And if your soil is diverse and alive, similar to the local soil, the herb should cultivate well in that same space. But sometimes herbs are pretty stubborn. They go where the wind or water takes them, and they prefer certain soil types and certain wild spaces. There are some times where you just aren't going to get that same plant to grow in your garden. This is why we have to respect both the art of foraging and the art of gardening as different strategies for utilizing medicinal plants. Sometimes the better way to get your medicine is to forage it, where it grows abundantly in nature, rather than working to get that plant to grow in the controlled conditions of the garden. I believe in setting intention for medicine making, and this is important because it respects the living being in both of us. Here are two rituals for plant communication. First, allow yourself to communicate with plants and receive them as personal allies. Go outside and meditate on the species that attract you the most through vibrational and other sensory communication. Listen to your heart and how you feel when connecting with them. Second, Align the pace of your physical and mental energy with the energy of the plants, fungi, or animals you wish to harvest. Sit with the plant you wish to harvest, seek out the grandmother plant or the oldest in the community, and visualize warm light surrounding you both. You can hum or shake a rattle to feel the cohesive energy encircle you. Tell the plant your intent to harvest them and what you'll be using them for. 
If the plant is difficult to harvest or you feel you receive a no answer from the plant, be content with not utilizing it and look for another. When the plant gives you permission to harvest it, harvest it with the intent of proliferation. If there are mature seed heads, spread the seed below you and only take what you truly need. This helps you connect with the plant as you harvest and make sure to say thank you. Look back at your harvest space as you leave, making sure the landscape looks untouched and that you have not over-harvested. The plants you hold are now your responsibility. Both of these rituals help you to focus on your spirit and on the relationship between yourself and the plant. They create a sense of interspecies community among us. We need not be like the plant or fungi to understand that they are indeed alive, and we need them as comrades to ecological restoration. Next, we're going to talk about the ecological harvesting protocol. This is a basic protocol for making sure that you are respecting the land that you forage from. The first point here is to harvest abundance. Only harvest from places with a lot of the same plant around. Try to rotate where you harvest from so you give other areas a chance to proliferate again. Part of harvesting abundance means becoming educated about threatened and endangered species in your area. United Plant Savers has a list of at-risk medicinal plants that you can look at. You might also consider using herbs with similar actions instead of using endangered plants like golden seal, black cohosh, echinacea, and pipsisoa. Leave the space as you found it and help facilitate regrowth when possible. Refill holes, replant seeds, and pick up any pollution you see to or from your site. If harvesting from bushes or trees, pick from the outer edges and leave the core of the plant to regenerate itself outward. If harvesting on a hillside, start from the bottom, leaving the grandparent plants at the top of the hill to scatter seeds downward for years to come. Now you only want to harvest plants that came from healthy ecosystems. Plants in poor health or who are dealing with too much bug damage are probably not living in a balanced environment. Look for a plant with vitality, amongst many others with vitality, to choose from. You also want to avoid contaminated areas, such as old orchards, anywhere next to a busy road or train track, near conventional farm fields, near old or new factories, near old or new brownfield sites or landfills, in floodplains downstream from industry, or under power lines, where herbicide is often used. You also want to avoid legal problems by researching what you plan to forage and where. Sometimes there are special environmental protections which limit the harvesting of certain plants, and it can even be illegal at certain times of the year without a permit. It's always good to know more about what you are harvesting and making sure that you're obtaining permission if you are harvesting on private lands. Remember that when you're taking a root, you're taking a life. Make sure to express gratitude and make sure the medicine that you do make is used by people in your life for a good purpose. Everyone should take a moment to write out their own ecological harvesting protocol for themselves in their area. Think about the things that you value about earth medicine and ecological communities. Think about how you plan to respect these communities of living beings and how you plan to show gratitude, not just at the time of harvest, but into the future as you build a relationship with that piece of habitat. Next, I'd like to talk about harvesting equipment. I'm not going to go into this too much. I'll keep it simple. You don't need a whole lot to forage, but there are some things that make it easier, of course. Probably the most important harvesting equipment is proper clothing. No uncovered skin when walking in undisturbed areas because ticks are a serious problem. Lyme disease is a really awful chronic disease. So be super careful and check yourself constantly. 
wear light-colored clothing to help you identify any kind of insect that's on you. You also want to bring a field guide or an online equivalent. You really do need a field guide to be able to identify herbs properly. You may also want to have gloves, pruning shears, a pocket knife, a trowel or hori hori, which is a Japanese soil knife, paper bags or a basket for herbs, a tape measure for identification notes, and of course a water bottle. Don't go walking in the woods without water. Now let's talk about what to harvest and when. This will vary per plant and you can develop your own relationship by learning when is best for your particular climate and ecosystem. First, let's talk about the roots. Roots are the most medicinal when they're dug in the fall of the first year or the early spring of their second year. Perennial roots can be dug in the late fall after the aerial parts have died back, but you should wait at least three years before harvesting. Roots need to be heated between 100 and 150 degrees Fahrenheit to kill any kind of bugs or insect eggs, which can destroy the root in the process of drying it out. When it comes to stems, these are best picked after the leaves appear but before the flower buds. Barks can be gathered from small branches or pruned branches, best done in the fall. Sometimes shrubs are happy to shed bark in the spring as well. Leaves are best picked in the spring of their second year, where they develop a more extensive root system. They should be gathered before the flower blossoms develop and before leaves have begun to wither. Flowers you'll want to gather just before they're fully developed and before the blossom fully expands to get the maximum aroma. Saps and pitches are usually collected in late winter or early spring. You'll want to harvest fruits when they are close to but not quite ripe. And for seeds, you'll want to wait until the mature seed head has dried on the plant, and you'll want to collect that seed head before the seeds themselves are ejected, usually, and you'll store those seeds in a cool, dry place. And lastly, we talk about the, the herb, what we call the herb, is really just the whole plant. So that means that person is making medicine with the root, the leaves, the stem, the flowers, uh, just pulling it up from the root, essentially. The most important rule of harvesting, of course, is to never eat anything that you are not 100% certain that you've correctly identified as edible. And you always want to bring a field guide online or print um, and a foraging notebook so that you can make notes when you do go out to forage. Now I'm going to talk about identifying your herb properly. The first thing that you can do when going out to identify herbs is to first try to find a mentor. Seeking out elders, to me, is the fastest way to transmit knowledge, really important knowledge. It's faster than books or field guides um, or even searching online just because that type of experience provides a lot more insight. And you can really start your foraging journey by being close to home. I recommend taking a small walk to quiz yourself on local plant species. Take pictures and take sample leaves home with you for later research. And when you can identify most of the grasses and trees in your area, you're probably ready to start foraging for identification purposes. You can start by foraging plants which have no common lookalikes and are otherwise very safe, obvious, and unique to identify. Know which part of the plant you intend to forage. I think it's really important to also learn the poisonous species in your area so that you know what to look out for. You should be able to properly identify any poisonous species, and that is one way of making sure that you don't actually collect them. 
Um, and also consider the bioregion that you're foraging in. So, you know, if you're in one area where lookalikes are possible, um, it's good to note that that's a possibility in the place where you are, because in a different place that lookalike might not exist there. So, um, really making sure that you understand your local ecology will help you identify, you know, oh, this doesn't grow here, so it's probably something else. Um, You also want to look at the seasonality of things. Is this common for this mushroom to pop up in this season? Um, Markers of a thriving habitat, like looking around for birds, amphibians, and insects and seeing, okay, is this a thriving ecosystem that I would be foraging from or am I taking from an already damaged ecosystem, Um, which is not ideal. And lastly, uh, consider using your non-visual senses. Um, Sight is definitely not the only marker of identification. And in fact, if you're only using photographs for identification purposes, um, can be very dangerous because things look different at different times of the year. So begin to learn the importance of Latin names and um, why they're more accurate than the common names for herbs, you know, along with identification, proper classification is also important. And different cultivars of different herbs have different medicinal actions or certain herbs have been studied, whereas other herbs in their family have not. So um, actually learning the exact species that you're working with is important. So here are some general guidelines for properly identifying plant medicine and fungi medicine. With plant medicine, first ask yourself, is this a woody plant like a shrub or a tree? Is it an aquatic plant? Does it grow in the water? Is it a grassy plant, an orchid type of plant, a fern, a vine, or another flowering non-woody plant? Is the leaf shape smooth, toothed, lobed, or divided? What is the flower shape if the flower is visible? Is it asymmetrical or regular? Does it have two or three petals? Does it have four to six petals? Does it have seven petals? Does it have numerous very thin or small petals or rays? Um, Are the petals fused together, like something like a morning glory? Um, What are the colors? Note the colors of the stem, the leaves, the flowers, the roots, the seed pods. Really look at the entire plant and make sure that you're noting any kind of coloration Um, on different parts of the plant, and texture as well. What stage is the plant in when you visit it? What month is it blooming? Um, Again, connecting to seasonality that will will show up in your field guide. You know, if you're seeing a flower of something that doesn't flower for two to three more months, it's likely not actually that plant. It's probably something else. Um, Are the flowers individual? Are they in elongated clusters? Or are they in rounded and flat clusters? Um, And lastly, what size is the plant? What size is the flower? Take measurements. Um, That is also very helpful and will often be included in your field guide. So fungi medicine is a little bit different because um, obviously the parts of a mushroom are are different than the parts of a plant. Um, The first thing about foraging mushrooms, which is often forgotten, is that they should always be dug and not picked or cut. Um, One reason for this is because an important part of mushroom identification is to be able to see what's called the vulva, and that's at the base of the stalk, um, basically where the the stalk is now meeting the earth and meeting the mycelial mat that is connecting it to the earth. Um, You do need to actually dig from the bottom and pull the entire 
um, stalk, including this part at the bottom called the vulva up to properly identify your mushroom. And with that, I think it's good to brush up on the important features of a mushroom. So understand what are the different parts of a mushroom, like the cap, the universal veil remnant, which is also on, on the cap, the annulus, the gills or pores, the margin, the stem, the vulva. Um, understanding all the different parts will help you read your field guide better because they're going to be using um, these anatomical terms for the different parts. Um, what color and texture is the cap? What color and texture is the stem? What color is the gills on the underside of the mushroom? Or does it have pores? Um, what color is the vulva? Any kind of texture or spotting or any other kind of identifying markers are things that you're going to want to be looking for and referencing in your field guide. Also, what season is the mushroom fruiting in? How many rings are present on the vulva? And lastly, a really reliable way of identifying your mushroom is to take it home and perform a spore print. This is basically where you cut off the stem and you place the cap with the gills facing downwards on a piece of white paper. You'll put a drop of water on top of the cap to help release the spores, create humidity, and you're going to cover the cap with a glass, like an upside down cup or something, and leave it for two to 24 hours. So the, the spores will actually eject from the gills of the mushroom and they'll fall onto the paper making a print pattern. It's actually very beautiful. And the color of the print pattern can help you correctly identify your mushroom species. So in your field guide, it might say has a white spore print, but when you go and do your spore print, it's a purple brownish spore print. So you'd know, okay, this is definitely not this mushroom. Um, so that's, uh, I just think a really important retroactive way to confirm that you, you have correctly identified it. So remember that you need to match the herb with a written description, not solely relying on photographs or field guide illustrations alone to properly identify plants or fungi. That's really important. Um, plants can look super different in different stages of development. Fungi as well, um, which can be confusing if you're looking at a young one versus a mature one. So those descriptions are going to allow you to check the, the plant or the fungi out from the root to the tip, from the vulva to the cap, and make sure that it fits the proper criteria. Now, if I was just starting out and I was super nervous about trying to forage, I would probably start with some basics, some that, again, are... Um, not going to have a lot of lookalikes and also, um, you know, can't be mistaken for anything poisonous. So those herbs would include something like dandelion, wild onion, uh, chickweed, hairy bittercress, plantain, uh, violets or clover. And mushrooms can be a little more challenging and should be foraged with caution and field guide in hand, but definitely look those up and, um, you know, see if you can find them in your area just as a, just as a test. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about preserving your herbs. Obviously, if you're using them fresh, you'll just go right into cleaning up your herb and preparing it to be used in one way or another. The majority of what we do when we forage is we have to preserve the herb somehow. We have to bring it back to our space and try to make it last. So this can be done by putting it directly into liquids like water, oil, or alcohol. But the most reliable way to keep the herb around for a while and use it when you need it is to dry it out. Um, so drying properly can do a great deal to maintain plant potency. So you'll want to pay attention to how you dry your herb. 
Um, the basics here are that you want to dry them in a well-ventilated, shaded, and warm area with circulating dry air, and you don't want them to make any contact with direct sunlight. Direct sunlight will rapidly destroy the medicinal potency in young, delicate herbs. You'll know they are fully dry when all parts of the plant are brittle and crisp, and then you'll know they are dry enough for a storage container that could be sealed without any more, all the humidity should basically be out of the plant by then. So you can dry your herbs on a sheet, on a rack, you can hang them in bundles, and you can collect seed below with a bag. Um, once dried, the herbs will last for about a year in storage without losing potency. So really get creative with whatever you have in your space that will would be good for drying. You really just want to keep it out of the light and make sure that it's not molding. Um, if you bunch herbs up too much, they'll mold. So just be careful with um, do some trial and error for your space. It really depends on the humidity of your house or workspace where you're doing this. So it can, it can vary quite a lot um, depending on where you are. But just pay attention as you're drying it. Watch it. Make sure that it's not molding or you're having any issues with it, and you should be fine. Once it's dry, it's perfectly good for storage, and you know that you've collected you know, that potency um, is not going to be compromised by the way that you've collected the herb. Continue to hone your skills by learning new edible herbs each time you go out to forage. Starting out close to home and slowly working your way to learning new species is a good plan. You can also learn new species when you travel or visit different climates. The good thing about herbs is that they are scattered all across this planet. Even in the cities, you'll find certain herbs thriving there, trying to remind us to be on the path to healing the ecology, to begin to live and work with nature. If the plant can survive and grow medicine through the concrete, then so can we. And this process of harvesting herbs does feel a lot of times like you're taking. But at the same time, I've come to realize that the herbs invited me into this relationship of communication with them. I certainly need them for some things, to help heal wounds, illnesses, infections, matters of the heart, and more. The plants recognize this, and I think they also want our help, along with the help of any other creatures, in creating the best conditions for their survival. So when you stop thinking of it as a give and take between you, and more that there is an interdependence, a shared vision for all of us, I think this opens up new possibilities when thinking about foraging. I remember the moment I realized that I could speak to plants and animals as a child. I thought it was totally whimsical and magical. And then, you know, you go to seventh grade science class and your teacher tells you, well, plants don't have nerves, so they don't have feelings. <laughs> and I've come to realize that my childhood self was probably right all along. The herbs and I are definitely communicating and we do share a common goal on this earth and each of us can play our part and enter into that relationship with gratitude, respect, and camaraderie. Um, foraging is this window into our human selves, our, our most grounded selves. And the feeling of the success of harvest, it hits a receptor in the brain. Like something deep inside of me is telling me, okay, I'm doing the right thing by working with this earth medicine. And that gives me a lot of confidence. That's kind of been my guide for this whole journey with learning to engage with wild plants as well as learning to cultivate soil and to grow a garden. Um, to be able to get closer to these wild species brings me to center with myself, and I realize the value that humans can impart on the landscape instead of the destruction that we currently participate in. Um, 
the experienced forager is more like a conservationist in the way that they're treating the landscape, the ecology, and um, the respect that they have for the specific plants that they wish to forage. So I, I think that it's it's quite a big topic to be you know talking about, but I hope this was a good introduction and a good start into the wonderful world of foraging your own medicine. I hope you're able to take some of this and go out there and try it for yourself. Really, my knowledge in this area was built just from experience and research. Um, making sure you're consulting the field guide or listening to experienced foragers on YouTube, um, listening to people talk more about proper plant identification. You know, it's okay if you get things wrong in the process. You're going to learn about lookalikes by foraging something that you shouldn't have. But the most important thing is that just that you don't consume anything, of course, that you are not without a shadow of a doubt sure is safe and edible. It's okay to pick a leaf and go home and do more research on it. Just make sure you don't go right into making a salad with that um, before doing the proper checks. And as long as you're indeed being that cautious, foraging should be a great engagement with the world around you, providing physical and spiritual wellness and teaching you a great deal about how we all got here. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and comment to let me know how I'm doing. This episode is brought to you by the Polycultured Seed Share. It's been three years since we created the Seed Share to mobilize a decentralized seed network around the USA and the globe. With over 125 cultivars now in our library, we're proud to say that the Seed Share is entirely free, paid for by our generous Patreon donors. Help support our efforts by going to our farm resources blog at www.patreon.com slash polycultured. Thank you, patrons. This concludes episode 36 of the Someone Summer podcast. Good night. <laughs>